0: All right, we are back for part three of the March Q&A, this is the final part. Going to get through another six questions. If your question wasn't answered, then please do ask again next month. I do this every single month for my public subscribers, viewers, family, fazfam, fazfam, for my fam, for my fam. So first question is from Mr. Yoki Scape. He says, thoughts on knee sleeves. I know some people like them for joint warming and stability but I'm wondering if they make sense for hypertrophy. Okay, almost unequivocally, no. Almost unequivocally, they are a net negative for hypertrophy, okay? Now, that is from a sort of ivory tower discussion. So let's, let's look at some possible a- applications. Some possible applications are potentially a sore knee. Let's say you bumped your knee on the sofa, you know, and it's hurting a little bit and it'll hurt going into the session. Uh, Yeah, sure, maybe there's a reason to be wearing a knee sleeve, a light knee sleeve, just to keep it warm, just to give it a little bit of extra support, just so you can get through your session. Um, Let's say you have some acute soreness from overreaching, for example, maybe you'll wear it for a week or two. I think where people go wrong is that it ends up being a permanent solution now if it's a permanent solution it's no solution because all that's going to happen is you're going to run into the same problem again but just at a heavier weight so I'm not a fan of them for hypertrophy there are some acute instances when I I say acute by the way what I mean is there are some short-term instances where you could probably justify the use of knee sleeves for hypertrophy now when it comes to the long term here are a couple of reasons why you don't want to wear knee sleeves first of all inherently they're going to reduce your range of motion at the knee that's the biggest negative okay you're not going to be able to get full knee flexion if you're using knee sleeves because well quite literally the material of the knee sleeves will prevent you from closing your knee all the way so that's going to be a net negative for hypertrophy because you can't get into those deep positions which you need to do for training your quads effectively So no more sissy squats, no more deep deep squats. Um, Yeah, you can't do that. You you just literally can't. So that's a big negative. The other negative is that people, what people tend to do is they tend to use these solutions as kind of a band-aid solution, which prevents them from trying to figure out what the original problem is. Now, the original problem is you're in pain because of something you're doing in the gym, which means You are doing something in the gym which is causing your tendons to not to be able to adapt to the training you're doing. So you're overreaching either in volume or intensity or frequency. One of the three or your form is terrible with a combination of those three, okay. So you're doing something wrong, basically. It's a sign you're doing something wrong. So what you're doing with knee sleeves and what a lot of people do is they go, I'll stick on some knee sleeves, problem solved. And then they hit the same problem 20 kilos down the line because they never take the knee sleeves off. It's never just a temporary solution until I figure it out. It is a long term solution and I'm going to carry on getting stronger. And that's what always causes problems because you've never fixed the reason why you're getting knee pain. You're still getting the knee pain and it's allowing you to get a little bit stronger until you run into the same wall, 20 kilos more heavier, heavier down the line, 30 kilos down the line because again, you're doing something wrong. Either you're just doing your routine setup wrong, you're doing the wrong set of exercises, your form's off or you have some kind of imbalance somewhere or you're doing too much of something. Um, you know, so <laughs> it's, um, it's it's used as a sort of, just plaster over training and programming areas. But really, if your joints are hurting, you're doing something wrong, you have to look at your programming. And that's where I would suggest you work with a coach, um, Either in a one-off capacity, like you have some kind of consultation, or you work with them full time for a few months, um, figure a few things out, figure out what does work for you, the right, the right list of exercises. Like, for example, for you guys, for you guys who are watching right now, who are listening, um, most people have had some knee pain. How did you get around it? Okay, did you put on knee sleeves and were you okay then for the next fifty kilos? If you did, great. Tell me how that went. Did you? Did you have to change your programming to fix your knee problems, your knee pain? Do you still get knee pain? You know What What are you experiencing? Who has actually managed to alleviate the knee pain? Now I can say, I can put my hand up and say, I have. I used to get a lot of knee pain when I was a powerlifter and I used knee sleeves, you know? But I didn't know back then what I know now. And that was that it was a programming error. Back then, the way that we responded to pain was we were just trained through it. And so I could have, done a lot better had I know now what I knew, had I know back then what I know now, and that is to fix my programming. I was doing way too much for me personally, squatting. What I should have been doing is a lot more variety throughout the week so I could keep my volume high. That was not a thought process that came into my mind back in the day. But um, yeah, it means you're doing something wrong. Either too high intensity, too high volume, too high frequency, or janky form with a combination of the above. So. Either figure it out yourself, or work with somebody who you can figure it out with, and look at what your own programming looks like. Try and figure out what your own programming looks like. That's what I would say. So, because overall they're a net negative hypertrophy, and if they, even if they help you a little bit now to train injury-free, it all it's going to do is have you injured later on with even more weight. So it's not, it's it's just not a good trade-off. It's it's in my opinion, it's never a good idea for hypertrophy. Typically the guys who use it tend to be the the high intensity guys, you know, the top set back offset guys, <laughs> um, because they're chasing that weight on the bar. So for them, it makes sense because they are just into heavy, heavy lifting. So they're going to be in a lot of pain anyway, because that's the whole mentality, the whole, and you'll notice with guys who do the whole heavy lifting, one set to failure type of thing, pain is a way of life. They take pride in it like, yes. I'm the man. I'm in loads of pain right now. I'm excruciating pain every morning of my life. Yes. And I I know the mentality because I was like that as well. It's almost like a badge of honor. But it's really a moronic attitude. I'll fully admit that. But some people really embrace that and they live it. Um, But So you get these guys who do this sort of low intensity, um, high intensity, low volume type of routine. They really favor the knee sleeves and things like bands on machines so they can load up as much weight as possible, just so they can get that extra rep, that extra pound on the bar, five pounds on the bar, that extra whatever, because they're all about progressive overload and they've completely forgotten about how the muscle feels, because they're in pain all the time. And um, Landon from Basement Bodybuilding does a great job of explaining this loads and loads. I've done videos on this as well. A lot of the the guys in our little community have talked about this a lot. And so you should know by now that this is one of those very obvious examples of people leaving behind the markers of, good, of a good workout, of good hypertrophy workout, just for added progression. So um, not a fan of knee sleeves at all. Not a fan. Not anymore. Used to be. Not anymore. Next question is from Osama Khan. He says, hey, Faz. I'm trying to learn about strength programming. I'm curious what your favorite rep progression schemes are for strength. I like your 8, 5, and 3s. What's your thoughts on something like 5, 3, 1? Yeah, yeah. Um, Osama, I think if you are at the beginning of your journey about strength, learning about strength programming, I would urge you not to focus on rep progressions, okay? To give you an analogy, focusing on rep progressions is a little bit like year seven ICT, when learning about actual strength programming is like degree level computer science. That's the difference. Um, There is nothing special about any rep progression out there, including my eight thousand threes and especially five three one or rep goal systems or dynamic double progression or double progression or whatever else there was absolutely nothing special about those rep schemes at all they that does not represent programming it is simply just a way of keeping somebody consistent now it should it should tell you something that 531 was so massively popular with a a, a very sort of, um, 531 was very popular with a very layman audience. Now, there's a reason why, because it makes sense. It makes sense to somebody who knows nothing about programming. That was the main feedback from Wendler's program. It's simple. It works. Do you know why you like it? You like it because it's simple. You like it because you know nothing, not you, Osama, but the average person likes it because they know nothing about strength programming. But five through one makes sense to them because it's very easy to understand. So they feel like they're doing strength programming. They feel like they know something about strength by following this progression. And the average person, they know nothing about strength progression and their consistency is terrible. So what five three one did, whether knowingly or unknowingly, it allowed people to feel like an expert for five minutes because that's all it took to understand the program. Do fives, do threes, do ones. Wow, Tudor bumper would be so proud, <laughs> and and it may, it forced them to stick with something longer than they had done before, with some sort of scheme to help them avoid burnout by cycling the lifts. That's it. That's all it is. That's what is. Good about these rep schemes, including my h and threes, the 5-3-1s, 3, and every other rep scheme that people go crazy over. Because it appeals to the narcissistic tendencies of every person. That oh, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. I understand strength programming because I know five through one. I but all it's really doing is it's tricking you into being consistent when you weren't consistent before. Now, if you really want to know about strength programming, then go go to the books. That's what I did. I have a copy of Bompers books I have a copy of, of Hatfield's books I have a copy of all that kind of stuff like somewhere up in the um, in the uh, in in the storeroom you know I've got a copy of all those old books I got them 20 years ago and these are books which are now 40 50 years old and I read through all of them for the most part didn't tell me much <laughs> because it's so technical you need to have a sports science degree to actually understand it um, but that's that stuff is really complex like the actual strength programming information is tremendously complicated so if you want to learn about strength programming learn about accumulation learn about intensity peaking um learn about intensity ranges not just rep schemes you know the rep scheme doesn't matter at all there's a reason why people talk in terms of percentages um learn about all that stuff like that's true strength programming and how things are put together what we have now is we have a very watered down version of strength programming which is a joke really uh, like five through one, all that stuff, just because it has mass appeal, it allows the average Joe to feel like they know something, but it tricks them into being consistent when they weren't before there's nothing wrong with that though okay if i can if I can make you feel good about yourself and get you some gains and make you consistent where you weren't previously that 's a win for not only me but for you as well so that 's not putting down Wendler and it 's not putting down my own eights, fives, and threes. They are very good for what they are. They force people to be consistent where they weren't before. And they give people a sense of progression. So people feel like they are learning, they are getting better. I'm a strength athlete, okay? Because I know five through one. I know heavy, light, medium, I know eights, five, and threes. Ergo, I'm a strength athlete. They feel good about that. and That's part of it, it's the buy-in. But if you're asking me a question directly, outside of the rut because I don't coach you sama if you're asking me a question directly outside of coaching so there is no placebo for me to break through I'm speaking to you honestly man-to-man that's the value in these rep schemes and you need to understand that if you're going to be a strength coach yourself you need to understand the limitations of these strength schemes that's not strength programming that's all they are they are only designed to keep people consistent and also to give them some confidence to make them feel like they're learning something um, and you need to understand the limits of your own knowledge if that's what you promote and, and that's what it is because that's not strength programming learn about strength programming. learn what actual strength programming is um read the old textbooks from bumper and hatfield read all those and, and, and learn what actual strength programming is sure all that stuff is great um but you know understand also the limitations of simple rep schemes the, the, the limitations and i guess the benefits because most people don't need much more complicated than that. But um, strength programming, it's not. Okay, Anyway, cool. So I'm gonna go on to the next question. Tech Texan, who always asks me short, sharp, good questions, are Astagrass leg presses okay to use instead of squats and squat patterns for bodybuilding? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, they are, 100%, uh, I'm a big fan. I think, I think you can make an argument for them being a great direct replacement for people who are not necessarily built for squats. Like I'm not really built for squats, but because I was a powerlifter, I managed to squat pretty well and I practiced a lot. A lot of people won't have the patience to do what I did, and that is get really good at squats. So I still like to do squats once a week, but um, I tend to vary up. So if, if I have two leg days per week, very often, the second leg day will not include a squat, probably be a leg press or a leg extension or a combination of the two. But yeah, 100% astrograph leg presses are, are great. Next question is 22% body fat, intermediate upper body, 250 by 10 bench, that's a good bench, you know? But noob lower body, would I still make leg gains on a cut or would it be best to let legs get on par with the body before the cut? Well, 22% is not that fat. Like a, a genuine 22% is not horrific, you know? My general rule of thumb is 20% is flat stomach, 15% is abs, 10% is crisp abs, and then six to eight percent is stage shape that's my general rule of thumb um so 22 percent is you're just past the flat stomach which is still not horrendous you know you could argue you could still bulk at that stage if you wanted to um but if you're going to go for a cut to get some abs you're delving into pretty lean territory i think you could start off by making leg gains on a cut definitely it's a lot harder though because you're on a cut you have less resources you can have less energy which means you're not Probably not going to be able to do as much volume as you would like or as you would need to to get leg gains. Um, but you know, on the other hand, you're a beginner when it comes to legs, so you probably don't need that much volume either. So I think you probably could make some gains, it'll be harder because you'll have low energy, but I think you can make some gains at least for the first five percent body fat. After that, maybe a little bit more difficult, you know. But um, yeah, I think. I think if you are first of all just do what makes you happy you know if you're if you're in the mood for a cut and it is approaching summer right now the when I'm recording this in it's um, late March early April um, you should definitely go for a cut and um, just see what happens with the lower body but that's a pretty good bench yeah so good effort okay s Lee says if you do a specialization phase for arms, Do you maintain the gains when you go back to normal volume, or is it two steps forward, one step back kind of thing? No, no, you should maintain the gains as long as you use maintenance volume. Yeah, that's the idea. Um, So for example, um, many years ago now, I did a specialization cycle for my delts and biceps, and I gained quite a lot of size. That size has mostly stayed on um, with a regular amount of volume. So yeah, as long as you don't go back to very low amounts of volume and ineffective training. But more than likely, what's normal for your arms is probably gonna be higher than what you're doing before. That's the only thing. So just let's put some numbers down to help help me explain. Let's say you've always done a moderate volume routine, so like 10 sets per body part per week, okay? Just bear with me. Let's say you've always done that. Now, for your specialization cycle and with the 10 sets, everything else grew well except for your arms. Your arms didn't grow, okay? So that's the um, important thing there. Now let's say you go up to 20 sets and 20 sets, you grow like crazy, beautiful arm gains, biceps just bursting out of your seams, women everywhere going crazy, wow, but not really women, mostly guys saying, hey dude, looking good. And everything is good in life. But when you finish the specialization phase, what you wanna do is maybe go back to what would be considered to be regular volume for your maintenance volume for your arms, which is not gonna be 10 sets because of that, main didn't really do anything for your arms at all so you might need to maintain that say 15 sets okay not a 20 but maybe it's something like 15 or even 12 but you're gonna need to figure out what is the new maintenance for your arms to keep your size it's not going to be what you're doing before because that was not doing anything for them it'll be what is a but again it's that it's the question of what is normal volume because at the moment if your arms are lagging well you don't know what normal volume is you don't have a normal volume. <laughs> Like, you've not figured it out yet. So you've got to figure out what is normal volume first, and then that'll be slightly lower than what you used to gain, I guess, in the specialization phase. So it'll probably be a little bit more than you are doing previously. And this is kind of what I say to most of my guys when I do specialization cycles is, um, remember that this weak area is probably always going to be weak. So you're probably always going to need to do a little bit more volume than you would do other areas. Like, it's the same with me, my delts and biceps always get at least three to five sets more than other areas particularly my legs so yeah it's just something you have to do it's and it's only because those areas need more work to, be, to even to be at maintenance okay right next question is from Prince meta I think he says best way to come back to lifting after being sick really good question. Funnily enough, I've answered this question multiple times over the last year. And I've been making—I've been meaning to make a video on it, so I might do at some point. But really, the, the best way to come back is you have to have a very fluid plan. So here's, I, I was ill in, um, I got food poisoning in uh, Bulgaria last year. So I got food poisoning, terrible throat infection. And I lost also, I think it was 12 pounds um, over the course of, I think, 10 days, something like that. So when I came back to England, I rested for a few days longer, and I was, I think I was 12 12 pounds down altogether, or I think 13 pounds. I was down about six kilos anyway. And I hadn't been to the gym at that point for almost two weeks, so about 12 days. And so what I had no expectation I was going to be able to lift anything close to what I was lifting before I went, because I was really training hard before I went, lots of progressive overload, really, really good training, okay? And... Well, so I thought what I was gonna do is what I always do in these circumstances, if I ever get ill, is to go in without any preconceived notion about what I want to lift. Have no idea about the weight you want to lift. Just have your routine in mind. So for me, it happened to be an upper body day. And so I was supersetting chest work with, with back work, chest back, chest back. And so I got to the first exercise and I started to warm up and I was on the back machine. And on this particular back machine, I was rowing three and three-quarter plates aside before I left. Okay, so plate-loaded machine. You sit down, you row. Some of you see me on, or see me on Instagram, probably have seen me on this machine before. So I was on three and three-quarter plates, and I thought to myself, I'm just going to start warming up, see how it goes. So I warmed up one plate aside, did a set on chest as well. Came back, two plate aside, did a set on chest. Came back, and I thought to myself, okay, I feel okay. I was a little bit out of breath, but I felt okay okay cool i'm going to take it slowly so i went up to two and a half plates okay cool did a set on chest came back all right still feel okay went up to three plates did a set on chest came back strange three plates was was okay i thought all right i i guess i'll go up again um because remember previous to going away and being ill i was at three and three quarter plates so i slowly went up now at any point i would have just stopped there and go okay this is my weight for the day because i had no preconceived notion about what I wanted to lift. I knew I could lift three and three quarter plates before I got ill, but at that session, I had no qualms about stopping at any point. So if three plates was my limit on the day, I would have just stopped there, but it was easy. So I thought, okay, all right, I guess I'll go up again. So I went to three and a half plates. So at this point, I've done a lot of warm-up sets. I've warmed up with more sets than I would do normally. I've done one plate, two plate, two and a half, three and an hour, three and a half. So I've done five warm-up sets already. So I did three and a half plates. Felt a bit harder, but not too bad. Did a set on chest, came back. was like, hmm, actually, weirdly enough, I feel okay. So I went up to three and three quarter plates. Thinking to myself, is this a good idea, Faz? And I I thought, well, actually, I'm warmed up. Three and a half plates felt great. So I guess this is fine. So three and three quarter plates, did a set on that didn't match the reps so i think i got eight reps before i left and i got six reps i thought actually that's not bad so i got six reps above five it's a pretty good set good form went into my chest came back i thought hey that's a surprise but notice the process that i did there okay i took more warm-up sets than usual okay and at any set i was quite happy to say this is my working set for the day i had no I had no intention to go up to three and three quarter plates. I was just going to go up and see what felt like a good weight for the day. It just so happened that I was lucky enough that I managed to get back up to three and three quarter plates. Okay. And that was after losing 12 pounds. So more than twice what you've lost. I'm not saying you'll be the same. I have lifted for a long time. My body is very used to lifting and it seemed to recover very quickly. So, and I'm also very good on hydration and all that stuff. So I properly hydrated before I before I, when I got back to the UK and you know I, I felt okay. And generally I'm a very fit guy, so you know uh, I'm healthy and everything. So my body responds quite well to these things. So I did that, I did another couple of sets and we were okay. Now that session, and this is another thing which you should need to remember is about halfway through that session, I completely ran into a wall. Energy wise, I was dead, I felt just empty. And I knew, at that point, it was time to go home. So I actually left off the last two exercises. I normally was doing um, three exercises each, three for chest, three for back, for about four sets each. I skipped the last two exercises. And I was happy with that, I thought it's okay. Now, I had done more warm sets, so maybe that tired me out, but also I was just very depleted. I wasn't fully back and full like I normally would be. So, That's another thing you've got to bear in mind. This is normally what happens with me is my strength doesn't really take a hit because it's quite hard to lose muscle, just stay hydrated. But my endurance really did take a hit. So the last thing to remember is it's okay to just cut your workout short a little bit. If you've done the first few sets hard, like I had done eight sets each body part at that point, eight sets for chest, eight sets for back, and I felt okay. At that point, I was tired and I thought, okay, I've, I've done enough now. I've given my muscles a message to get stronger for next time. So I was back to normal. The next day I went and hit arms and a bit of delts. The next time I did that day again, I was just as strong, if not stronger than when, when I left. So that is how I would come back from lifting after being sick. Have no preconceived notion about what you want to lift. Just don't try and say, okay, don't go and say, well, I'm definitely going to lift as much as I lifted last time, because Faz did. No, you're not me, you are you. Your illness is different to my illness, whatever, okay? We're different, different circumstances. Also, don't go in saying, I'm definitely not going to lift anywhere near as what I was before. You never know. I mean, You only had 10 days off, you only lost five pounds. It doesn't seem that bad, you know? So um, you never know, don't, don't shortchange yourself. Literally go in as a blank slate figure out what you're going to lift on the day that's the best way to do it right i think the last question is from pinoy pinoy aesthetics he says i recently became a personal trainer at a commercial gym any tips on handling many clients without losing the quality of my training and dieting advice our higher-ups push sales like a madman and wants us to keep taking on clients to infinity yeah you're in a tough position you're in a very tough position there um you have management who wants you to carry on taking clients, but you know full well it's reducing the quality of your your coaching. So it's tough when you're um, a hands-on PT, okay? Um, especially if you work for somebody else. The advantage, the way that I've set up my business, is I have a set figure in mind of how many clients I can take on, and I've never deviated from that. That is my limit. Um, I will not take on clients past that because if I do, it will reduce my service to those existing clients, and it's not fair on them. So I'm not trying to be greedy. I'm also not trying to put myself in an early grave from overworking. Um, I have a set number which I can handle, and I handle that and no more. If I want to make more money than that, then it's either a case of increasing prices or getting money from other avenues. Okay, but uh, at that stage, you know, I'm I'm happy. I'm good. So I get a lot more agency than you would have here. Um, I'm I'm not sure what to say to you, Pinoy. I, I really am not. Um, I would say, I would say the only way that you're actually going to get ahead and develop a reputation for yourself is if you're good. And so you're gonna have to do a good job for your clients. I think I would, in this, if I was in your situation, I would probably enter into an open conversation with your higher ups and speak to them about your limitations because they are there to support you. So you do a good job to bring in lots of money for the company, right? That's the idea, isn't it? And um, clearly, you know, they have an interest in, in your sales. So I would have an open, honest conversation and say, look, this is the problem that I'm having. I'm at a certain point now. Maybe you don't need to have that conversation yet. Maybe when you've reached a certain amount of clients and you're really struggling, then maybe go in and say, look, um, i realistically speaking i'm at my limit if i take on any much lay it out lay out all the numbers lay out how much time you want to put into them and lay out what you want to do with these clients as well like what are your plans um and audit almost audit yourself for them to say this is what i'm doing and I, I literally if i was to handle any more clients i wouldn't be able to do justice so our service would go down and then i guess it's up to them you know um but um it's a, it's a really it's really a difficult one because on the one hand you want to do what's best for the clients On the other hand, these people are paying you as well, you know, your your higher ups, they're paying you, you work for their company, you want to make a good impression, you want to go up to the, you want to go up in a company, presumably, you want to have a good CV or good reference. So honestly, it's, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, me personally, it's why I've chosen not to work for anyone. So I work for myself. I don't answer to anyone. It's for that reason. So I can do what's best for my clients and what's best for their progress because that is my reputation like my clients results and their testimonials is my reputation is how the business has grown. So um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one on your own. I think. If you have the opportunity to go on your own, you know, go for it. Um, but that might not be something you can do right now. So you may have to just try and compromise at this point. Ultimately, you don't want to annoy anyone. You don't want to annoy your boss, but you also don't want to annoy your clients. You're in that middle position. And yeah, you're going to have to try and compromise a little bit on either side, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hopefully that was helpful. I'm not sure how helpful it was, but I'm going to call it there. Right, folks, I will see you in the next one. Peace out.